0: Are you tired of tribalism?
1: I think a lot of what the left supports is satanic. The only time religious freedom is invoked is in the name of bigotry and discrimination.
0: Are you exhausted by the culture war?
1: If they don't like it here, they can leave. You could put
0: Not the donkey or the elephant. This is the podcast that's too liberal for conservatives and too conservative for liberals. I'm Patrick Miller. And I'm Keith Simon. And we choose truth over tribe. Do you? Whether you're on Twitter or you're off Twitter, you've probably been hearing about Elon Musk and his imminent purchase of one of the world's biggest social media sites. The purchase is going through for $44 billion. That's 6 to $7 billion, by the way, over The market cap, and it's creating all kinds of questions. What will this do with Tesla's share value? How is he going to get this much cash? What if he uses Tesla's value as a collateral (laughs) for buying Twitter? And it's creating a whole different set of questions. Is Elon going to say that he's in and then suddenly back out? And we're watching as his company that he's going to buy seems to be in panic mode over the entire thing add on to that bigger questions about how conservatives are reacting, liberals are reacting and Elon's future plans. There's a ton to talk about with this. Now I have to say right at the start, this is all speculative. We are recording this on Thursday. This will come out on Saturday. So literally everything that I say during this podcast could go totally wrong and haywire. But the minute I started hearing about what was happening in Twitter and with Elon, I thought about my friend, Chris Martin. Chris Martin is kind of emerging as one of the leaders, in my opinion, kind of experts in the space of social media for Christians, thinking about social media smartly, intelligently from a Christian perspective. He wrote an excellent book called Terms of Service. I can't recommend it enough. I've given it to lots of people already. But Chris, it's awesome having you on the show. Thanks for being here today.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Glad to be here and chat about this. It's like you said, very complicated. And as I wrote in my piece earlier this week about it, there's not a whole lot we know other than it will be a very wild ride, regardless of how long or short it may be. It's going to be a wild ride to see what happens. We don't know a whole lot else. I love that you kind of preface it like, hey, we're recording this on Thursday, April 28th. By the time this comes out Saturday, I mean, the whole (laughs) whole deal could go kaput within five minutes of us signing off here. So who knows what's going to happen? And
0: it only costs Elon $1 billion if that happens, you know? Right. Trump change. Yeah, so just, no big deal. Yeah, I'm in for the ride. I've kind of enjoyed this because it's shown some deep things about the American psyche or thinking about free speech and how we engage with social media.
1: Yeah, totally. I joked in the piece that I read on Tuesday that so many people have so many opinions about who owns Twitter. But if you ask any of them who the majority shareholders of Twitter was like three months ago, they couldn't have told you. And most people don't know that Mark Zuckerberg controls the majority voting shares on Facebook's board. Nobody could tell you who owns the majority shares of Snapchat. It just shows the power of celebrity, in my opinion, like the power of individuals and influencers, that this one person kind of becomes the sole owner, well, first majority shareholder, and then sole owner of a company that everybody starts to get very opinionated and passionate and part of that is because power consolidating to one person makes people feel things. And then also, this isn't just some random billionaire that nobody knows anything about. It's one of the most polarizing <laughs> public figures in the last five to 10 years, I think, especially in the last five or so. Cause, you know, he's been in the public eye for a long time, but he hasn't been part of like current event cultural conversation as long as he's been well known. He was just nerdy tech engineer guy for a long time. It's only been, I want to say in the last five to seven years that he's been kind of a cultural icon, if you will. And it's been interesting to see how fired up people are either positively or negatively. And yeah, I'm kind of with you. I'm not sure how this is going to shake out, but yeah, I'm here. I got my popcorn. Like I'm interested to watch and see what happens. And I think there is some gravity to it, but I do also think that Elon Musk is a clown. And I don't mean that in like a derogatory way. I mean, he's just a- Oh, you mean clown in the good way. Yeah. I mean, like he's a goofball, but he's a goofball with hundreds of billions of dollars. So it's going to be kind of interesting to see how that plays out. Well, I think what you just said there is actually really fascinating because
0: I'm always asking the question, what makes something actual news? What makes something newsworthy? The first newspaper that started, it released one newspaper every month with the caveat that some months there might not be a newspaper because there was no news. So they're operating under the assumption that there's nothing noteworthy happening, potentially for two-month-long periods. And now that we have this giant news cycle on social media and people have to create something to talk about, someone to talk about, that creates the rise as a celebrity. And this wouldn't even be news. I mean, it would be news, people would care that Twitter is getting purchased, but it wouldn't be this kind of news if it weren't for the fact that a celebrity who also happens to be one of the world's most well-known Twitter trolls is now buying Twitter. That's the story. And that's what's making this so newsworthy.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a story like built by Twitter. Like Elon Musk is a cultural icon because of the platform he's purchasing. Like that's just so (laughs) meta and I don't mean the
0: company. Yeah, Elon Musk isn't Elon Musk without Twitter.
1: Yeah, right, yeah. He has so many problems with the platforms, but he also clearly loves the platform, which is why he's buying it. A lot of people think he's buying it just because he hates it and he's trying to get his way like a petulant toddler. And I mean, could there be some of that? Maybe. But I think he genuinely loves the platform and wants what's best for the platform. I really think he's brilliant and think that his work with both Tesla and SpaceX in particular are inspiring and fascinating. And every time I watch him talk about those things on any sort of stage, I get really excited. And the futurist in me, the like... I'm not a scientist, but the person who loves space that's always been inside of me, like, I love the SpaceX projects. Like, we just launched another crew to the space station a couple of days ago at, like, midnight on Tuesday or Wednesday morning. And, like, nobody was even talking about that. Oh, yeah. We just launched people to the space station, which used to be, like, national news for a week. <laughs> we just did it, like, two or three times in the last few weeks, and nobody's even talking about it. Like, that's so cool and crazy. So when I see him leading in these ways, which are very much more hardware and engineer and nuts and bolts kind of oriented, part of the reason I'm kind of anti-Elon Musk owning Twitter, really the only reason that I'm sure of is that I kind of want him just to devote his gifts to those things, not Twitter. Like being (laughs) the boss of Twitter, some people have joked, is the worst job in the world. Yeah, kind of. And I think Elon's brain is just so much more wired as I've listened to him talk a lot over the years, so much more wired for Tesla and SpaceX-like problems than Twitter-like problems. Like I think there are probably two dozen people in the world who could run Twitter pretty well. I don't think there are two dozen people in the world who could run those other companies as well as he can. And so <laughs> I'm just kind of like, man, I don't want this to distract from the things that I feel like he's more uniquely gifted to do. That's an issue perspective. I kind
0: of want to roll back, though, because I think you hit something that people need to consider. This used to be news, sending people to space, sending people to the space station back in the NASA days. Let me just say, that's noteworthy. That's actually incredible. Every time we send someone into space, there is something absolutely amazing about that that we should pay attention to, but we're not even talking about it because we're talking about the purchase of Twitter. And in a way, that's almost a microcosm of what Twitter has become. I've lost the stats. I wish I would have brought them with me. But Twitter drives the national conversation. It's where journalists are at. It's where media experts and analysts are at. It's where academics are at. It's where the Readers, speakers, thinkers, that's where they live. And so what ends up happening is you have all of these news sources, which are just reporting what's happening on the social media platform that they exist on. I mean, Twitter's literally driving the news and we're seeing it even
1: right now in its own purchase. You're exactly right. What we've seen in the last week with the owner, founder of SpaceX becoming the owner of Twitter has distracted from the tremendous work of SpaceX. <laughs> like you said, it's a microcosm of Twitter as an existence. A massive inconsequential distraction for much more important and fascinating things. <laughs> as much as, again, I love Twitter, I do also love dogging on it in the same way that I suppose the new owner or perhaps owner of Twitter does. It's crazy. I mean, like they launched people to space. They had their first commercial sending tourists to the space station space flight a couple of weeks ago. And by the way, they continue to land these rockets in the Atlantic Ocean and reuse them, which that's insane. And all of this is kind of fallen to the wayside with the purchase of a social media platform that like a fifth of the US population uses, or
0: at least has an account on, let alone uses. Which might be partially to blame for the culture of polarization, tribalism, and outrage, which is dividing yeah. us and fracturing us, which is destroying us. And instead, we're focused on Twitter over SpaceX, which might actually take people to Mars.
1: Yeah, right. And it's a truly amazing feat of humanity. And here we are playing with our action figures <laughs> in the sandbox. Yeah, I love Twitter. And as much as I like kind of dogging on it here, like I think it's... It's valuable in all kinds of ways, maybe not monetarily because they've never been very good at making money. But culturally, I saw a really good interview on Monday when the transaction went through on CNBC. They had some analysts on and he was doing a good job. I'm not going to be able to quote him directly, but he was doing a really good job of communicating what I think everybody should be aware of is like, yeah, this is kind of a big deal and that it could mean some significant changes for Twitter if all of the business goes through and all of that happens. It could mean some significant changes for Twitter. And in three or five years, Twitter could look significantly different than it does today. But it also is kind of a circus and it's kind of a very niche social media platform. It is like one-fifteenth the significance of Facebook meta. Twitter is like a chihuahua. We were talking about dogs but when we pressed record. Twitter's like a chihuahua. Like its bark is so much bigger than its actual bite or influence or power. Twitter is so much more culturally relevant than it is broadly relevant. And that's because, like you said, the people who use it are the people who like to hear themselves talk. And the people who lead culturally or whatever else, the people who aren't using Twitter are the sort of like rank and file normal people who go to work, go home, love their families and participate in the life of the local church or whatever else. Those folks aren't using Twitter generally. And if they are, they're not creating content there. That's why a lot of my piece on Tuesday that I wrote was kind of a, hey, let's just calm down. This is really less significant than we probably think it is because Twitter is less significant than it feels like it is. It feels like it drives a lot of cultural conversation and such. And sometimes it does, but a lot of times it sounds like it is. And it ends up not really leading to any substantial change or things like that. And so I think all of us would be wise, whether we're excited or upset about these developments. And I'm starting to think this is actually going to happen. Personally, like if I were a betting man, I'd be betting that maybe this actually doesn't go through for any number of reasons, some of which Elon is writing himself. And whether that's intentional or not, I'm interested in. But I just think we should all kind of step back and take a deep breath. And maybe not think about this as we go about our daily lives, because it's probably not as significant as we think. So let's do a little bit of analysis on the situation itself.
0: We've already acknowledged in some senses this is overblown. And yet here we are, or at least I am, because I asked you to come on here, participating in the media circus that is Elon Musk purchasing Twitter. I do want to analyze some of the things he said, though. And I want to start with some of the changes that he's proposing should be made to Twitter. It's three things. I want to talk about each of them, but let me just set them up really quick number one, he talked about making Twitter's algorithm open source. Number two, he said he's going to reduce spam bots. And number three, he said that he's going to authenticate human identity. So Chris, to the average person, those sound like I don't even know what they mean. So let's look at each one. What does he mean when he says that he wants to make Twitter's algorithm open source? To be frank, a lot of people
1: aren't sure what he means here because the algorithm term can be so vague. So Twitter does have an algorithm, but not maybe in the same way that Facebook has an algorithm because Twitter can still be chronologically oriented and it isn't as algorithmically driven as something heavy like Instagram or Facebook. Let me pause you there for one second, just to try to make sure people are tracking like, So what
0: I see on my Facebook page is determined by an artificial intelligence, which often goes by the moniker, the algorithm. (laughs) It's determining what should Patrick see today? What would Patrick like? What's going to keep Patrick engaged? And you're saying Twitter has an algorithm, but it's not determining to the
1: same degree the amount of things I'm seeing. A lot of what I'm seeing is just chronological. That's right. And on Twitter, you have the option to flip between, I think it's like see best tweets and see latest tweets. There's like an option on your phone. I think in the upper right-hand corner, you can flip back and forth. I always have mine on latest. I don't want Twitter to curate my feed. I love the so show me what was posted three minutes ago, then five minutes ago, then seven minutes ago. I want that. So the algorithm, quote unquote, those set of mathematical equations that determines what you see on Facebook or Instagram, you can't really break out of that as easily, though Instagram has recently added a more chronological feature again, after taking it away a number of years ago. Twitter still has always had that option to kind of go away from the algorithm and be more chronological. So it's less binding, I guess you could say. It's more fluid. So I don't know if that's what he means when he says open sourcing the algorithm, or if he means like open sourcing the code, open sourcing how Twitter works and how some of the features work so that people could create tools that could be like companion tools to go along with Twitter. Those could be apps that you use to tweet or retweet or monitor followers or monitor other statistics. Well, that's one thing Twitter's been notorious for in the past is preventing people
0: from using what are called plugins. Or someone would figure out how to create a tool that works with Twitter and then Twitter would intentionally deconstruct it so that they couldn't use the tool, which was annoying for people who were trying to work on the platform or use it for anything other than what Twitter explicitly wanted you to use it for.
1: Yeah. And one of the most popular ones was TweetDeck, which it actually purchased. I remember using TweetDeck on my phone in college before Twitter purchased it. And yeah, it was like a third-party platform where you could access Twitter. And I still use it today, but a number of years ago, Twitter actually bought it and brought it into the fold. And they've largely neglected it until recently they're starting to mess with it. But yeah, so this is kind of like if KFC gave up its 11 herbs and spices, social media platforms do not open source this stuff because it's really their secret sauce. So for Elon Musk to open up, basically he would just be saying like, here's the file with all the code for whatever he means when he says algorithm. I don't know the extent of what he means. Okay,
0: hold on. Do you think maybe part of it has to do with the censoring programs? I mean, we know that what Twitter censors is not a human going through reading every single tweet and deciding this one fits and this one doesn't. They've created a artificial intelligence to determine. And by the way, I've had these things hit me for the most mundane, bizarre reasons. Actually, my co-host, Keith Simon, we posted a episode about Ukraine And everything he posted about Ukraine, for whatever reason, probably they're trying to stop misinformation about the war. But for whatever reason, everything he posted just got taken down by Twitter. It was marked as this has been blocked by Twitter, whereas everything I did, they allowed me to post, even though
1: we were posting pretty similar things. So I wonder if that's part of it, too. Yeah, totally. He's over the years and even more recent months shown that that's a big concern of his. And that goes into his free speech discussion, which we may talk about. And that's so hairy and complicated. But yeah, I think that's probably a significant portion of it. And, you know, these social media platforms, really, they are like Frankenstein's monsters. They've been created and there's so much artificial intelligence and mathematical equations at play that have just kind of been allowed to run things that humans are often going in and cleaning up what their programs have kind of messed up. And they're, it's like a Roomba who goes around your house and it's supposed to be cleaning your house, but ends up getting into something that ends up making the floor dirtier. It's like, that's what <laughs> a lot of these algorithms and safety procedures. It's like, we created this program to make things more safe, but in the process, it really messed up X, Y, and Z. So now we got to go clean up all the things that's messed up. Well, you make me think about these speech intelligence.
0: I don't know if you've seen these AIs that are able to communicate with you. And it's bizarre. If you go watch them online, they all end up trying to kill whoever they're talking to. Like at some point in the conversation, they're like, and I want to murder you in your sleep. And you watch the person be like, wait, what What? what did you just say? There's something about artificial intelligence at this stage. I'm not trying to freak people out that seems to go awry. Now I'm not an AI expert, but you're kind of making the point that you create these systems and there are unintended consequences.
1: Yeah, totally. And so, like I said at the top, Twitter has always struggled to make money. And this is actually a way that Twitter could make a significant amount of money is by charge a fee to create plugins or apps that access the API and the algorithms. And they could end up making a lot of money from developers who create companion apps to use the Twitter data, the Twitter information, the algorithm and make the Twitter experience better, but Twitter would get a cut of that. Rather than right now, it's just been nobody's allowed to do it. We're gonna shut down anything that tries. They could really open the door, but also kind of like charge a fee or like a toll, if you will. I don't know how all this works legally, or I'm not in this space, so I don't know how this works functionally. But that could be a real source of revenue for Twitter, and it could make the Twitter experience better. So I think that's really positive. But he says I want to open source the algorithm, and everybody's like, okay,
0: what do you mean? Yeah, yeah, that's great. Okay, let's talk with the next one, which I think will be. Our- our shortest conversation is I think you and I agree. No one knows what this means. He said that he wants to reduce spam bots. What are we
1: talking about here? If you wonder what this is, go to any single one of Elon Musk's tweets and you'll find them. <laughs> <laughs> Down in the comments. Go to a reply probably to his or other like major celebrities tweets or something that's trending. You can often find it in a reply to something that's trending. The profile picture will be the same as Elon Musk's, but it'll be a totally different username, bunch of like random letters and numbers or like something you've never seen before. It's not even a real word. And it'll be like, sign up for this crypto newsletter and learn about all the latest NFTs dropping so that you can make a bunch of like, that's what he's talking about.
0: Did I tell you about the time I got added onto Elon Musk's Web3 crypto list? And if I just tweeted at him and everybody else on the list, I had the chance of winning 15,000 Bitcoin. See? Yeah, exactly. But I think I was the only person in this list who realized, guys, this isn't Elon Musk. Stop tweeting at me. I don't know how I got onto this list. Like, leave me alone.
1: This is all made up. So that's exactly what he's talking about. And given Elon's sort of futurist and Web3 adjacent interests and all of that, he has felt the brunt of that more than the average Twitter user. Let me just put it that way. Spammy stuff on Twitter is a pretty big deal. So, I mean, I think that's all positive. That's all great. I don't know how he's going to do that. Maybe the authentication of a real human is the solution, which we can talk about that. But I think, hey, yeah, I'm all about no more spam bots. I just want to see how you're actually going to do it. That's what I meant when I said, I don't understand it. I understand what a spam bot is. I don't know how you get
0: rid of spam bots, but I think you're right. It might be related to this next thing. So let's talk about that. He said that he wants to authenticate human identity. Could you just explain what that means? Someone's like, well, I'm a person. I have a Twitter account. Aren't I
1: an authenticated human? Yet again, this sounds like it could be a good idea, but I think a lot of people are like, well, what do you mean, Elon Musk? When you say authenticate a human behind a Twitter account, are we all going to have to submit our driver's license numbers to get a Twitter account, a social security number? Surely not. How are you going to authenticate a human? Like, you're not just going to add a CAPTCHA, are you?
0: I mean, that's how Facebook does it. What you just said is how Facebook does it. So we've had to go through this multiple times where we've had to send in one person, not only to send multiple forms, like a passport, a driver's license, eventually had to get a notarized form (laughs) to confirm their identity to Facebook. Now, let me say what I appreciated about that, though. It was Facebook's way of making sure that we weren't some troll farm run out of Kosovo or Iran or China or Russia or wherever else. I appreciate they were doing their due diligence to make sure that we weren't using our ad spend
1: to go spread misinformation. They did that because they stepped in it big time in 2015, 2016. So yeah, Facebook does that for ads, especially ads that could be political. You need to submit all that information, but they don't do it for profiles, right? Like you don't need to submit your driver's license to just create a Facebook profile. They've tried to make it so you can't just put like random letters and numbers and first and last name. Like somehow they've figured out what a first and last name actually look like. And so if you're gonna go create a a new Facebook profile today, it needs to somehow look like a real person, but there's no way to authenticate that it's a real person. And there are plenty of fake people on Facebook for sure. But why are there fake people? Like what what does that do? Yeah, fake people could be created for any number of reasons. People just trying to like get on Facebook and be anonymous, but still be there for lurking, for stalking, whatever else. It could be people who are trying to scam other people. I know people who have done it to like infiltrate, you know, they're like, I want to do some oppo research on what all these democratic Facebook groups are doing. So they'll create a Facebook profile of somebody who's like a Democrat and goes into these groups, to like see what's going on, you know, like that kind of thing.
0: There's also the misinformation bit totally, from foreign yeah. governments, which
1: again, it freaks
0: me out on a big level because we are probably about a year away from the point where AI will be able to generate, you know, two to 300 news stories based on a fake story that was fed into the artificial intelligence and if you can create fake accounts, I do worry that you're going to have all of these fake accounts spreading hundreds of stories that look real because they've been corroborated by so many different people, and they can just do this over and over and over again through the AI. And that's obviously another major thing. You know, I've talked about this. I mean, 19 of the top 20 Christian Facebook pages are run by foreign troll farms. In other words, most of those are fake accounts. <laughs> And they have an algorithm that's just posting Christianese stuff. It's pulling the most viral Christian stuff. And people are liking their page and following it there. And so that's part that I get worried about as well in this.
1: And so when we go back to Twitter and authenticating human users, it sounds very appealing. Like, yeah, we want to reduce fake people. But at the same time, it's like, well, I'm not interested in giving Twitter my driver's license number. Like I'm trying to reduce my data footprint on the internet, not increase it. So the solutions of how to authenticate that a human is running a Twitter account are not appealing to me i would rather deal with fake accounts like we have to today than give twitter any personal identifiable information that i haven't already given them that's the stuff that you would not want to be leaked by your credit card company kind of a thing i was just
0: gonna ask do, do you think because elon musk is kind of web 3 adjacent and we're still really early i have wondered if they might instigate some sort of blockchain type technology where you would be able to authenticate your identity on the blockchain in a way that's safe and protected, totally anonymous, but using their systems, they would be able to determine this was real. And you'd be able to kind of store your data inside of this lockbox on the blockchain, if you will. I do wonder, I mean, Twitter's already moving a little bit into this space by allowing you to use NFTs as your profile picture. Now, they're not doing any writing on and off the chain, so they haven't gone that far yet. But I wonder if that's a possibility where, you know, patrickmiller.eth is now the place where I can authenticate my identity. I I realize the big roadblock there is this hasn't been adopted widely enough by the population for them to be able to roll it out.
1: Right. Yeah. That's the hard part is, yeah, you have to bring in some sort of authentication. You can't just generate it on the platform. That would be self-defeating. So yeah, I think that could be a solution. And a lot of people have speculated that Jack Dorsey is partnering up with Elon Musk in a sort of shadowy way. I'm not trying to sound conspiratorial, but seriously, like, they're of same mind on a lot of these things. And Jack cares a lot about Twitter. And Elon Musk is acting on a lot of concerns that Jack Dorsey often expressed and such over the years. And Jack is obviously very web three oriented, because that's in part why he left Twitter to go do more in that space. So I wouldn't be surprised if they go that direction. I just think that authenticating real humans could be good, if executed well, and it remains to be seen. If it will be executed well, and we'll just have to see how it goes. I think you write some good points I hadn't really considered.
0: I'm so used to having my information and data taken by big tech companies. I'm numbed to it. It doesn't even bother me anymore. But I think you're asking a great question. You know, they already have everything. Do I really want to give them the rare few things that I can identify myself with now that they don't already have? I want to transition our conversation now. So we kind of talked about Elon's ideas. It seems like you were giving a sober and cautiously optimistic take on what he's saying. Like, hey, I don't know if this is going to be great, but I'm optimistic. Some of this could be some
1: some good stuff. Would you say that's fair? Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think some of this could be very good, but it sounds lofty and it's kind of a, sounds good. I'll believe it when I see it though. I'm kind of the same way. It's
0: easy to make promises. And I mean, we're basing this off of one sentence that Elon Musk said, and we've just
1: blown it apart into 10 minutes of conversation. And there are two reasons I'm very skeptical. One is these are not engineering problems. They're people problems. And Elon Musk has routinely solved engineering problems and has routinely created people problems. So the open source algorithm, I mean, suppose that's an engineering problem. But the free speech thing, which we can get to, like that is very much not an engineering problem. The authenticating people, that is not an engineering problem because you have to convince people to somehow give you information that authenticates their identity. And the bots problem could be an engineering problem. But again, you're trying to figure out if they're real or not. And that requires some sort of people interaction. So I'm not sure that he is the person to solve these, which means, okay, well, he has just had to get the right people in place, which perhaps he could. However, he's going to have to either really clean house or really go in the opposite direction that he has been going and win the current employees of Twitter to his side. And that I think is perhaps if this all goes through, which I remain skeptical of, if this all goes through, I think his biggest obstacle may be to actually get the people of Twitter who work there on his team, Or to kick them out (laughs) and then hire new ones would be very expensive because they all make a lot of money. And if you're going to fire them, you're going to have to pay them. And so that might be part of why he's going after some of them publicly is just to get them to quit. Okay, so let's change to the
0: reaction. You were talking about the reaction inside of Twitter. And I don't want to focus so much on that. I want to focus on the reaction of the right and the left and how this is just another example of the culture war playing itself out. So so I want to ask two questions. It's going to be the same one, which is why each side is responding the way. So let's start with the right. Why are people on the right declaring this the year of the Lord's favor? (laughs) You like what I did there? That's a Jubilee reference. I'm going back to Jesus and Nazareth announcing his ministry. He declared the year of the Lord's favor for our listeners. Well, why are we so
1: excited Yeah, I think the reason conservatives are excited is because Elon Musk has touted free speech as being like one of his primary tenets. He wants to make Twitter a free speech platform. But isn't
0: that like an old liberal thing? I mean, like 10 years ago, it was liberals who were the free speech party, you know, and conservatives were the anti-profanity, anti-pornography, anti-free speech party. And it's like we flip-flopped universes all of a sudden. But keep going. Right now, it is the pro-free speech party.
1: A lot of that is rooted in conservatives believe big tech censors conservative ideas more than liberal ideas, which they have evidence to suggest that. They really do. Because when Twitter or even Facebook and other platforms have historically not carried out their policies and rules in a consistent manner, they have carried them out in ways that are biased against conservative ideas. Like, When they've broken their own rules and like banned an account or prematurely suppressed content, they usually have done that toward more conservative related content that they are posting and sharing more than toward liberals. So like one that everybody gets fired up about is some New York Post Hunter Biden story, like his laptop or whatever. This is from a number of months ago or even years ago. I forget. Yeah, this is October
0: of last year, right before the election happens. The month before they shut down the New York Post account so they can't advertise This story about Hunter Biden's laptop because they said it was fake news. It wasn't real. That's right.
1: And perhaps it was, but Twitter was taking some really unique action in that way. And so what a lot of conservatives who have been more interested in Hunter Biden's laptop than the slaughter of thousands of people in Ukraine, for instance, are really fired up about it is they're like, this is justice for the suppression of that kind of stuff, like that kind of content. And Elon Musk is going to set all this right. And maybe he'll get President Trump to get back on Twitter. And maybe we'll get to use this platform and be able to speak our minds and say whatever we want to say. And so that's why conservatives are very excited because Elon Musk is touting Twitter as a free speech platform, not because there's some pro-transgenderism article that got suppressed that he's trying to advocate for, but conservatives feel like he's being more their champion on this topic. I think anyone who's posted
0: on some of these more touchy, difficult subjects, I mean, I've experienced it personally. I mean, I've had things that Twitter didn't ban, but they blocked, (laughs) right? I was like, whoa, you blocked that? And a lot of it does have to do with these culture debates around things like gender and gender ideology. And I think that's an important question to ask, like who gets to decide that? And I have some sympathy for people who say, look, you suppressed a story that turned out to be true about someone who's running for president, right? Right. That's terrible practice. Like that is awful practice. I can understand why they banned Donald Trump, but I get that. You know, they banned the Babylon Bee. Some people think that Elon bought Twitter because of the Babylon Bee getting banned, which, you know, whoever made that decision probably lost their job. (laughs) But it's fascinating to look at because I do think, like you said, there's a case to be made here. But I think you're making a great point, which is the reason why we're concerned about free speech is because my speech feels like it's getting squashed, not because I care about free speech. So let's switch sides really quick and talk about what I can only describe as histrionics. I mean, just absolute mind-bending, people's worlds are breaking, the apocalypse has come, it's the end of days for progressives on the left. I'm going to read a few quotes here just to show. This is an MSNBC host. This is what he said. He said that Musk might secretly ban one party's candidate and turn down the reach of their stuff and turn up the reach of something else, and the rest of us might not find out until after the election. I want to read one more. This is from a former Clinton labor secretary, Robert Reich. He said, Musk and his apologists say, if consumers don't like what he's doing, they can go elsewhere. But where else would consumers go to post short messages that can reach millions of people other than Twitter? Can we laugh collectively for a moment? That's (laughs) good. Yeah. (laughs) This is kind of what you just said a second ago. It's like, you literally just described what happened to conservatives. Their political candidate after he lost was shut out of Twitter. You have suppressed and turned down their stuff in a way that... Conservatives couldn't understand. And then when conservatives complained, he said, go start your own thing. Well, I mean, what do you think? What do you make of the progressive response to Twitter being
1: taken over by the Wicked Witch of the West? Uh, It's pathetic, frankly. And a lot of people that I really like on the more liberal side of the political spectrum who cover social media for a living, either as writing from major news outlets or writing books on these things, a lot of these people that I have learned countless things from, and they've really mentored me from afar in their thinking about social media, And I've kind of taken what they think and put my own Christian worldview into it. A lot of them are the ones who have been losing their minds. And I've just been kind of sad for them. I really think it's not as bad as maybe they feel it is. And I think it reveals all kinds of things about the nature of our hearts if we're losing our minds over who owns our pet social media platform. And I think part of this is, I wrote in my piece on Tuesday that for a lot of these folks, like the liberal journalists that I follow who cover social media, and I'm not saying all journalists are liberals. I'm saying the ones that I follow are liberal. They would identify as that, progressive even, and they've been losing their minds. For them, it's like Elon Musk is the richest person in the world, arch capitalist, troll who went on Joe Rogan's podcast. and like I think I'm putting words in their mouth and they would probably like hate me for this, but I think a lot of progressives hate Elon Musk with the burning passion of a thousand suns because they really, really, really want to like him and they love so much about him. He's pro climate change. He's he's fighting climate yeah, change. Yeah, he's fighting climate change with like three companies. He has an electric car company that's changing the world and how we think about electric cars. He smoked weed on Joe Rogan's podcast but take Joe Rogan out of it. I feel like he's everything a progressive would like accept Well, that. you know,
0: he has to have a progressive sexual ethic. He's probably progressive
1: right. on issues like abortion. He's yeah. probably, I mean, you just have to imagine all these things are the case. Totally. But he's a troll that sides more with the sort of like libertarian Joe Rogan, Tim Pool. Like, I don't think he's probably any sort of fan of Donald Trump, but he's more likely to be sympathetic with the sort of anarchist kind of down with the establishment kind of vibe that comes with that than he is with the progressive side of things. And so it's like, Part of me thinks a lot of these liberal folks who are losing their minds, they really want to like so much about him, but they're like, how could he betray us or that kind of thing? And again, a lot of them would be self-identifying socialists, like huge Bernie fans, that kind of thing. And I mean, Elon Musk is just the antithesis of that. I mean, he's the arch capitalist nemesis, real life Tony Stark, right? I mean, he's everything that isn't that. You
0: know, it's interesting. I mean, we'll see what happens. I mean, it's obvious that the right doesn't like a left-leaning Twitter that has left-leaning algorithms that determine what can and can be seen at certain times. And now we're worried about the opposite, right? That he's gonna create a right-leaning Twitter that is going to maybe ban or block some left-leaning perspectives. What I find so fascinating in this analysis, everything you just said about the human heart, is to me, the bottom of this all, the histrionics and the celebration really is a gross love of power. We're living in a post-truth culture, where we don't trust anyone anymore. We don't trust the New York Times. We don't trust the Washington Post. We don't trust the Washington Times. No one is trusted anymore. We've lost all trust in all of our institutions. And now all that matters is what my tribe says. And in a post-truth culture, all that matters is power. Whoever has the mic gets to be right. Whoever can drive the conversation gets to be right. And I think we're seeing the left freak out because they've had so much of the mic. They've had so much power for so long. And we're seeing the right jubilate because, yeah, now's our time. It's like, let's get out our hands because we're ready to smash down what they built. And this is speaking to like these deep down heart issues of I want to be in control. I want to have the power. I want to destroy my enemies. And so it does make me wonder,
1: like, as Christians, how do you think we should be responding, whether we're on the right or the left? First of all, I'll say what I said in my piece and I mentioned briefly earlier. I think we should all calm down, take a breath, take a step back. And again, recognize that this does not mean everything we probably think it means, whether we're very happy or whether we're very sad. Elon Musk is probably not the free speech savior of the right that everyone maybe thinks he is. And he's probably not going to make life miserable for liberals on Twitter as much as they think he is. And so I think everyone should just chill. And I, again, remain skeptical that the deal will even finish. So we'll see if any of this even ends up being relevant at all. (laughs) Well, was fun to talk about in the moment. And I think we all will have learned something about ourselves in the process because it's like we get to the brink and then it doesn't happen. It's like, oh, I just learned a lot about myself and how I reacted to that situation. I wrote in my piece and this was kind of a part of it that I think a lot of people thought was helpful is that it's amazing to me how much we care about who owns social media platforms, but we don't even realize that social media platforms own us and own our content. And I don't think the reason we lose our minds when Elon Musk buys Twitter is because we're like, oh man, Twitter has taken up too much role in my life. And now that Elon Musk has purchased it, he has so much more control over my life than I ever thought he would. I don't think we have that level of thinking. I think we just like either love or hate Elon Musk and then that makes us respond. I think a lot of us underestimate the impact of social media in our lives, underestimate the ways that it's woven itself into our hearts, our souls, how we think about ourselves, that it's so poisoned us. Like, you know, you're on Twitter too much. If you have a stronger response to who buys Twitter, than you do a care in the world of how Twitter might be changing how you think about how to love your neighbor. I saw so much hysteria from my conservative people I follow on Twitter, Christians and more progressive ones that I'm like, man, imagine if you devoted this much thought and energy to like How these platforms are shaping you and how they're changing how you think about yourself and how you think about value and human worth and people with whom you disagree. Imagine if you spent this much time and effort thinking about how this platform, Twitter, has caused you to dehumanize people with whom you disagree. But instead of reflecting on that, you've just decided to dehumanize the person who now owns the platform. I write and speak and talk about social media, not all tech, not all AI and all these different things. Social media is really my thing. And as I've written about it and talked to people about it on podcasts like this or just conversation, there are 150 topics at any time that could come up, whether it's content that's being suppressed or people who have been banned or whatever. And those topics are brought up so much more frequently than the more abstract ones like Man, I feel like Instagram has really given me like bad body image sense here. Like I really feel like it's affecting the way I think about myself and my body. And I just think Elon Musk buying Twitter is yet another wonderful and convenient distraction for us to opine about and whine about and be happy about. It's a nice little diversion from the maybe deeper thought and deeper realization we have that these platforms are changing us in ways we don't realize and maybe don't even like. I love
0: that. And I think you're right. We would all do well to reflect on how we are being shaped by the platforms that we use and how that's changing how we think about ourselves, about God, about others. I want to end this conversation because we have limited time here talking about the free speech debate that is circling around this whole thing. Everybody's saying, you know, Elon Musk is pro free speech and I'm pro free speech. And I always find this hilarious because my first question I ask someone is, Oh, you're pro free speech. Okay. Someone builds a billboard around the corner from your house And the local porn shop decides that they want to advertise on it. And it's not like a totally naked woman. It's like her silhouette with some suggestive language. And every time your kids play, they look up at that billboard. Are you still free speech? Just out of curiosity. So let's just start there and say, what are the problems with
1: this idea, this absolutist idea of free speech? It's totally vague. Like so much of what we talked about, this is perhaps the most vague of them all. Now, Elon Musk has said, even clarifying since the press release came out that he is purchasing Twitter, has said that by making it a free speech platform He's not okay with any speech that violates law, like you can't yell fire in a theater or whatever. Now, how that translates to social media. That's <laughs> what I was going to say. What's that even mean? That's part of what makes this difficult. Our free speech laws were written 200 years before social media was a flicker in anyone's mind. It's very vague and nobody really knows what he means. I don't know if he knows what he means. And frankly, I think I said this in a group text message you and I are part of. I watched his TED talk from a couple of weeks ago where he was interviewed about any number of things. And he had just said that he was going to buy Twitter. I think he made his first offer that was kind of rejected. And the interviewer was kind of quizzing him on the free speech portion. And frankly, Elon Musk, I find to be incredibly brilliant in so many areas. His answer about Twitter being a free speech platform and what that could mean, the high schoolers in my youth group could give a better answer than he gave. Like it was (laughs) poor, like it was very, very poor. And so I'm not sure if he even knows what he means by this, but I think what he generally wants to see is fewer People feeling like they in particular are suppressed. And he has said that the extreme right and the extreme left both need to be made angry by the free speech policy. That sounds good in theory, but that sounds like something I'd hear at a high school lunch table. Like, I just don't know what you mean by that. And like, you need actual rules to enforce that. And I have all kinds of concerns, which we can get to about like, there are plenty of things that are allowed within the scope of the law that are still terrible. And I would not want to come across on Twitter accidentally, even. And so, I don't know that conservatives who are most interested in this free speech idea would want a lot of the things that would come with a free speech platform. (laughs) No, I know. I mean, literally, do you want pornographic language, pornographic
0: images? Is there racialized language that you have no interest in seeing, sexual language, all of these things could potentially happen. If you have a pure free speech platform, and like you said, many of them legally, there's no law against it. Do you really want that? I'd love to end our conversation here on this point, just asking, how should we think about content moderation? Like, I think you're right. It's kind of a high school answer to say, hey, I want to make both sides And I mean, it's a helpful heuristic. Like, hey, that would be a good sign. If the 10% on each side wasn't happy, great. Right now, yeah. we only have 10% of one side that's
1: unhappy. And I think that is a problem. Um, but how yeah. should we think about content moderation? Man, I'll tell you what, this is the hardest thing. And this is why I've been very critical of social media platforms over the years in my writing. Specifically, I go after Facebook the hardest and I go after them for their privacy and their data handling more than anything. I don't go after Facebook for what they ban or don't ban because here's the thing. It's really hard. I think without having been to the space, I think whoever's in charge of content moderation on these platforms have the hardest job in social media, hands down. So Facebook has these people who have to review
0: flagged content on Facebook. And the people who work at these places, not only does it have like a six month turnover, usually, like people getting mental illnesses, totally. I, I think maybe even some suicides, like really yep. sad because of the stuff that they have to look at to see yep. if it should be on Facebook or not.
1: It was Casey Newton a number of years ago who went out to, I think Arizona and for The Verge, Casey Newton is one of these liberal social media writers that I read. He did a tremendous article a number of years ago. He went out to where these people work in this giant office building in like Arizona. There are a number of them. And but yeah, like somebody committed suicide on premises. So contact moderation is incredibly difficult. Obviously, you don't want a video of somebody beating their dog or beating a kid or something. That's easy. Like That's the easy stuff. Now, somebody still has to like go on and review it. It's not all human. Some of it's AI, but sometimes a human has to confirm it or whatever. Obviously, like, that's the stuff that everybody's like, yeah, none of that. But there's a lot of blurry lines on what should and shouldn't be allowed. A lot of people, when they got mad about Donald Trump being banned from Twitter, are like, there are genocidal world leaders who are still on Twitter. How does the president of the United States get banned? And I'm like, well, I'm not saying I agree with this, but here's why. You can be a murderer and just tweet out your favorite song lyrics every day and never be banned from Twitter. And you can be the president of the United States who perhaps has a pristine record in all things moral. But then on Twitter, you threaten that you're going to bomb Russia. Well, threatening to bomb a country would fall against Twitter's policy for content moderation and you would have your account suspended or like have a strike put on your account because you broke the rules within Twitter. But being a murderer isn't against Twitter's rules. It can't be. You don't want social media platforms to start allowing people on or off their platform based on what they do and who they are off platform. Some people may say that they want that, but you don't want that because then you have social media platforms policing people off platform. And it's like, actually we had to close your Facebook page down because you lied on your taxes. So I think content moderation should stay on platform. And I think it's incredibly difficult. And I think we should, frankly, give a little bit more grace because so much of it is gray. And so that's why I try not to be hypercritical of platforms when it gets wrong.
0: I mean, I think that's a really fair perspective. And I'm probably even more in the advertising space at times than you are. This part of my job. And all this to say, I've experienced what it's like. I've now had this happen on two different occasions where we've lost our ability to advertise anything, which on a lot of these platforms, that's your only way you're going to get in front of people because they've designed the platform to make people like us have to pay. That's how they make money, right? People don't realize it's like, well... If you're us, if you're running something like what we're doing, that's what you have to do. And so I feel sympathy for people who are saying, hey, why are my views? I can see this other person talking about the exact same topic, but they're talking about it from a progressive perspective, or they're using the right language in the right way. And I'm not even trying to be incendiary, right? I'm not some far right satire magazine like Babylon B. can't get my stuff up online. And that's frustrating. It's disappointing. And so I do think that there's a valid concern around content moderation and yet I hear what you're saying and I totally agree. I think this job is way harder than we realize it is. And if you actually start thinking through how you would do it, if you had to do it, you start to realize the nub of the issue. So Chris, thanks so much for being on the
1: show today. I know you're running up against a
0: time block here. It's been really fun talking to you. Any last thoughts before you hop off?
1: Not really. Thanks for having me. I think this is a really interesting discussion. And I think we're going to plan to talk a little bit more social media and such. And content moderation, gosh, we could talk about that forever because it's just such a hard topic and complex issue. And I think Elon Musk buying Twitter, I won't be surprised if even by the time this airs in like two days, if somehow the deal falls through. And I bet if that happened, we'd find out because Elon Musk just tweets out, I decided not to buy Twitter or something. It would be just some crazy (laughs) thing like that. But you know, we'll see what happens. And maybe he'll buy it and maybe it'll be wild. And Who knows? But uh, it's already been a wild ride. It will continue to be, like you said, I'm hopeful, skeptical. It's like, you know, a politician running for office. It's like, man, that all sounds like a good idea, but how's that going to work? And how's that going to work? And so it'll be fun to see, but it's never a dull time in social media world. And this is perhaps one of the more interesting things that had happened. We'll have our popcorn out. We'll enjoy it together. Chris, would you mind praying for our audience just to close us down? Sure. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for Patrick and uh, his team, everybody working on this podcast. Lord, I pray that however we use social media, whether we're a casual lurker, a passive, you know a passive user, or someone who uses it for their job, or you know tries to sell things on it, or or make a living off of it, or try to use our gifts that you've given us to serve people. But I pray whatever our relationship is with social media, I pray that it would come nowhere near distracting our from our relationship with you. And I just pray that you would help us to have a calm mind about these things and, and not help us to freak out or, or get super happy or super sad. Who owns a social media platform really shouldn't make our days or ruin our days, Lord. And I just pray that you would help us have the wisdom to see the foolishness in that and help us always to cling to you and your word and our call to follow your son Jesus in everything we do before we worry about things like this, Lord. So make sure we just prioritize appropriately and and care about what you want us to care about and lead us to use social media in a way that glorifies you and tells others about you so we can be a light in, in what can be a very dark world. So would help us not contribute to the darkness, but help us shine a light in some of the darkest places. And Lord, I pray for Elon Musk. I pray for uh, Twitter employees who just wonder what the next days and weeks of their lives are going to look like. And Lord, I just pray that you would give them all peace and comfort and give them all wisdom as they try to figure out what's what's next. And, and Lord, we trust you to, uh, to lead us in the way we should go, even if it may be a bit rocky as we go. Thank you, Lord, for everything in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.